The Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB, excellent for business. I'm your host, John Fury. I'm speaking to you from EFB Worldwide Headquarters right down the street from La Plaza, an excellent Mexican joint owned by excellent Salvadoran immigrants. They have great queso and even better margaritas. I'm joined by my colleagues from EFB, Adam Belmar and Chris Brown. Uh, Mr. Belmar, what can you tell us about La Plaza? Oh, my God. I love this this joint. And you just talked about the queso. They call it chili con queso. I said, no, I want the queso. They said, no, it's the chili con queso. I said, bring me the chili con queso. It is so good. And I go in there for dinner at least once a week. I love the people. I love the energy. And apparently a lot of people around Eastern Market love this place so much that they order for takeout. Very robust takeout business. Yes, I do a lot of takeout. Uh, Chris, have you been there? I have. I am a big fan. So, so you know, I've been going there for 11 years. We went there two weeks after our son Jack was born. That was his first restaurant. Great place, great local place, great margaritas, and they, the margaritas actually make you eat more chips. I don't know and, you know and you know what else, people? A really good value. I feel like for the dollar spent, sustenance and joy are both gained. The format of this show is very simple. I offer theories, and my colleagues respond to them and offer their own. Theory one... The liar versus the leaker. Or to put it another way, hell hath no fury than a former FBI director scorned. James Comey let President Trump have it with both barrels yesterday. He is obviously angry he got fired, and he's more angry in the way he got fired. He called the president a liar. The president's people fired back, focusing on Mr. Comey as the source of classified leaks. I think this whole debacle didn't move the needle one way or another. If you like Trump, you think Comey is an ingrate. If you hate Trump, you hate him even more. Adam, you watched this whole thing gavel to gavel. What are your impressions? This was a remarkable day of political theater in Washington, D.C. Not since the impeachment hearings have so many people been focused on a hearing like this. And I think that the deference that the former FBI director got from members of the Senate of both political persuasions, indicates what we were walking into yesterday. Comey enjoys a great deal of credibility, a close working relationship with the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, and a much broader audience of people are inclined to believe the contemporaneous memos that were written by Comey. He was given every opportunity to answer uh, questions about Flynn, about Russia, about his interpersonal communications with the president, and boy, was it a damning hearing about the president, about the way the FBI director thought about him as a human being, his credibility, and his ability to even trust the president in having one-on-one meetings. There's no doubt in my mind that anybody who watched that hearing walked away feeling like this is a president who was, and probably still is, out of his depth in terms of understanding how things work and what is appropriate, John. I do agree with the theory, however. If you hated Donald Trump, then you were just going to be more along those lines after hearing what you heard yesterday. If you respect the president, respect the presidency, and believe that Donald Trump did not do anything wrong, I think you found, as I did, that there was nothing in that hearing that, that spoke to me about a criminal level of malfeasance. What it really did was pointed up that we have a huge, I mean, enormous iceberg that we have hit as a country, and it is Russian 
aggression against this country and our democracy. That is what it pointed up yesterday, and that is where the story will go. Hey, Chris, let me ask you this question, just about the atmospherics around this whole event in Washington, D.C. There were bars that were opened early to watch this, where people are doing shots based on presidential tweets, which is unfortunate because the president didn't tweet at all during this. Do you have any friends that went to any of these bars? What are, you, what are the atmospherics around here? Yeah, I, th- I think this is more a matter of restaurant publicity than anything else. You know, people around the country don't really believe us when we say that in D.C. we go to bars on State of the Union night. We, we watch presidential speeches with the volume up at our favorite watering holes. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, Union Pub over on the, the Senate side. We're offering free drinks anytime the president were to have tweeted, probably fortunate for their bottom line that he didn't. Uh, but, yeah, it's a party atmosphere, especially on Capitol Hill uh, particularly. Uh, but throughout Washington in general, this was the big show. This is our Super Bowl. This is as big as it gets this year. And like Super Bowls, many Super Bowls, it really wasn't all that exciting. It was not something that – I mean, I guess if you watch it a gavel to gavel – you got some of the drama. Well, I, I'm a former journalist, and I have logged hearings uh, since 1997 uh, as a working journalist. And so picking bites and hearing and understanding the, uh, the elements of a hearing and what makes news, it was a, a very uh, high-content hearing. And uh, there were other sidebar stories. I mean, certainly Senator John McCain appeared to be discombobulated during his questioning, conflating two you investigations. He, he blamed watching the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks late night for the fact that he could not get a question out, which I thought was interesting because a lot of times while I'm tired is when the Washington Nationals are on the West Coast. It kind of drives my sleep clock crazy. But uh, that was a big story. What was John McCain saying, and why couldn't he get his story straight? Well, McCain was really, uh, if you just take him at his word, trying to trying – to, essentially defend the president by saying that the FBI director and his investigation into Hillary Clinton and the email investigation finished with the decision that there would be no charges brought against her, and yet this was an open investigation where he couldn't say the same, and it was hard for me intellectually to conflate the two because I just don't think that they were the same thing. That was the problem for the former FBI director, I think, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of John McCain. I have been for a long time. He's an American goddamn hero and uh, has been an extraordinary public servant for a long time. But there are voices within the party, the Republican Party, that say it's time for him to go. And, and I'm not willing to go there just yet. But he certainly looked like he was out of his depth yesterday. He was confused. He was tired. And as Adam said, he was conflating two completely separate investigations. Let me ask you this question, Chris, before we move on. As far as social media, this was a triumph of the networks. I mean, live TV... Tell us a little bit about how the social media reacted to all this. At the beginning of this hearing, uh, before it even started, I put out a headline, fired employee uh, complains about crazy ex-boss. Uh, and it got a, a huge uh, response from the, the world of social media. A lot of people hammering me, which I thought, especially from the left. But social media was on, on this thing. How did they react? How did you How did you see it? Well, as it pertains to your social media, you're usually winning when both sides are attacking you, and I think <laughs> that was probably happening yesterday. But yeah, this this was a complete tweet storm from from all sides. Uh, I think people were using this hearing the same way that a drunk uses a lamppost for support, not illumination. Uh, anything that you believe beforehand, you are going to be able to amplify and, and throw a fun, snarky spin on. Uh, but nobody learned anything that wasn't. Uh, uh, just the facts that we learned, mostly from his his pre-prepared testimony. If there's anything to learn uh, from yesterday, and I hope the president can learn it, there's no indication that he has. But my father told me this story uh, many years ago when I started working as a professional. He said 
There once was a bird who decided, unlike his other birds, that he wasn't going to go south for the winter. He said, I love it where I am, and I'm really, really good. Well, winter started to come. The ice and the sleet came, and he said, gosh, I made a mistake. I need to fly south for the winter. Well, he started flying, but the ice started accumulating on the bird's wings, and before he knew it, he was falling out of the sky like a stone. He thought he was going to die, but he landed in a pile of cow shit. And when he realized that he was okay, he was so excited that he stood up and started squeaking and tweeting, tweet, 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 tweet. And then the barnyard cat came along and ate him. <laughs> and you know what the moral of the story is, John? If you're happy and warm in a pile of shit, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and, and that is exactly what the President of the United States needs to remember. No more tweets. He is interrupting himself. He destroyed uh, Infrastructure Week. He is destroying his credibility in terms of Washington and leading on enacting his agenda, and that is exactly his greatest strength. He's got to stop forcing these errors. Theory two, may be not. Theresa May called for a snap election two months ago, betting that she could easily beat Jeremy Corbyn, the anti-Semitic socialist who leads the Labor Party. Oops, Corbyn's party won seats. Theresa May's Tories lost their majority. And the result now is complete chaos. My theory is that Theresa May lost this election because of her lackluster response to the terrorist attacks in Manchester and in London over the last couple of weeks. She didn't look like a strong leader, and I think that's why the voters sent her a strong uh, vote of no confidence. Uh, Chris, taking a look at this election, what are your thoughts of what this all means for America and what it means uh, for the future of Great Britain. Well, boy, if you thought polling was bad over here, it continues to be bad over there. Yeah, she made a, a terrible fumble in calling for this election. She misread the electorate. Uh, I think the biggest problem, is, as folks have said, is that she expected some of the UKIPers to break for her, and they didn't. Uh, so that was really unfortunate. But look, yes, she did lose seats. She does not have a majority, but she, she still is in power. She's going to form a coalition government with the DUP. Brexit will continue. I think that Scottish independence referendums are off the table for another decade. But uh, this is not as big a loss as it might seem. Yeah, it hurts. It stings a lot for sure. And I think they're going to be much more sober in, in trying to call for something like this in the future. Aren't you concerned that someone like Jeremy Corbyn, who is a nut job, can lead a political party based on the crazy things he said in the past and gain seats in the election? That could never happen. <laughs> uh, there, there was a funny meme that circulated uh, a couple of times uh, over the last few years, but it's two photographs juxtaposed. One is, uh, they're both in black and white, they're both from 1988. One is Jeremy Corbyn being arrested in uh, an anti-apartheid protest. The other is David Cameron chumming it up with his buddies uh, in, in formal wear at, at, at Oxford or something. Uh, but I think that the Brits, just much like the Americans, are looking for some honest leadership. And Jeremy Corbyn wasn't at this time around, but he certainly made his point. I think that's right. And he's, you know, the populist stuff is working. And it's not populism as much as this idea that I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore, and I'm going to vote for the craziest SOB I can get my hands on. And it worked in America, and it worked for Corbyn. He didn't win the majority, but, boy, it was close. I'll give you three to two Vegas odds that Boris Johnson's prime minister six months from now. I think that's what's going to happen, too. Well, I, I would just add that our cup runneth over with crazy here in Washington and in the United States. So we didn't, for the most part, put an eye on the British elections, but what an unbelievable debacle on her part. Not only should she have never made the snap election decision, 
but she played it poorly and she behaved poorly. And events of day came back to point up some of the worst problems with her leadership as Home Secretary. So if President Trump can learn anything, it's that action and results will tell the tale of the tape for him in 18 and again in 20. And without that, he's nothing. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. I also think that the one thing that Theresa May did not have during this whole terrorist attacks, uh, evidence of strong leadership. Her rhetoric wasn't strong. She didn't look strong. And I think when people feel fear, they want strength. And Dogs and bees can smell fear. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Theory three, Congress is busy at work while the national media focuses on Russiagate. The House passed major, a major revision of Dodd-Frank this week. The Senate is inching ever closer to a deal on health care before the July 4th recess. I talked to members, and they aren't really caught up in all this Russia nonsense. They are busy legislating. My theory here is that the Republican Congress in both the House and the Senate is undervalued as a stock price. I would buy Republican futures. What say you, Adam Belmar? Bye, bye, bye. There is no doubt in my mind that the upside potential for the Republican majorities in the House and the Senate is enormous. Huge, you might say. I think that uh, they've just got to get to it. Um, I see the Dodd-Frank repeal as being something that a Republican majority with a Democratic president, they could have pushed. They had pushed. They passed before. Could it get into law now? I sincerely hope that Mitch McConnell and Speaker Ryan can get on the same page and figure out how to actually do the one thing that escapes this majority – which is enacting legislation that of real substance. Well, and, you know, I don't think the Dodd-Frank thing is going anywhere because it's not going to pass the Senate. The one thing they could focus on is tax reform. And we work uh, with the Rate Coalition. They're trying to get the corporate tax rate more competitive with the rest of the world. That's the one thing that's going to boost economic growth. I don't think they'll be able to do that, though, before until they get to health care, which I think they're working diligently on. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts? You, you've been someone who's been a little bit of a Republican skeptic given what the president did on the Paris Climate Accord. You also were really negative when it came to the initial health care vote. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the futures of the Republican Party? Do you think that they have a chance to keep their majority, or do you, you think they're doomed? Uh, I don't think anybody's doomed, and I do think they have a chance to keep their majority if they can get through health care in a way that pleases the base and they do get to tax reform in a way that shows some real dollars coming home to real Americans. I'd be willing to upgrade them from a sell to a don't buy. I think that you know everything that happens uh, here in Washington that is the real business of governing, the governance and the legislating, is incredibly important, and it's what they're here to do. But from the heartland, nobody cares. It's not sexy. It's not national news. I think that you bringing up the fact that uh, EFB advocacy – works on behalf of the Rake Coalition is a great thing. We have been seeing in our work for this coalition for years of American companies who pay, actually do pay, an effective federal tax rate above 32% and are not by any measure going to leave the United States but want to be competitive in the world, that there is an increasing body of evidence that people here in the country who are focused and are starting to become focused on tax reform are willing to speak up. And we had some experience with that this week. And I, and I think, Chris, you'll agree that uh, even though the prospects for immediate uh, uptake of this and seriousness in the Senate isn't there, more Americans are starting to focus on we need a win and that tax reform is really going to spell a, a boost to jobs and wages. 
Yeah, tax reform in this context is not about rich people, and that's such an easy thing that Democrats always want to point to. This is about everybody. If you have a pension or a 401k, you are a shareholder in big American corporations, and it's your interest to see them competitive with the rest of the world. This is especially going to help small and family-owned businesses more than anybody. They've gotten hurt so much over the last 30 years. It's time to, to shake the edge of sketch, if you will. Well, and I do think at the end of the day, Republicans will be successful if the economy is growing and if people feel confident about the future. If the economy falters, and that could happen if Republicans fail to pass pass tax reform, uh, then I think they're going to be in serious trouble. I think a lot of this other stuff, for example, I don't think Russiagate has much of an impact on what most people care about. Now, some people do care about it. There's no doubt about it. Some people are worried that the Russians have somehow infiltrated the top levels of government and that Donald Trump is a stooge for Vladimir Putin. But I, I, that's not, I don't think that's where most voters are. I think most voters care about their daily lives. I think that in the summer of 2020, if we are at full employment with Dow surging to or past 25,000 and there have been no major terrorist incidents in the U.S., regardless of everything else, Donald Trump gets reelected. I think that's right. Well, uh, guys, thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday morning in Washington, D.C. It's going to be beautiful this weekend up until Sunday when it gets to be a 95 degrees. Are you giving me the Storm Team 440 I'm forecast? I'm going to give you the Storm Team. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's easy to say. Um, you still watching any baseball this weekend, John? I'm uh, going to go to the, the game tonight. Uh, the I'll be there Nas- also. The Nationals were able to win uh, last night against the Baltimore Orioles, which is always fun for the whole family. Um, thank you for joining us at the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent for business. Yeah, baby.